This is always a wondrous night. It takes a lot of work, a lot of people, a lot of hands to put something like this together. And we can get sort of lost in the stress of it, in the preparations. But once it comes down to it, to this beautiful night, there's always a certain peace about it. And there are, of course, many different ways of experiencing this night. And this is the third service we've had today. The first being the children's service, which has a much different feel to it than this. It's a, it's a beautiful service with lots and lots of little ones running around in sheep and angel costumes, hearing the story of the birth of Christ. We're also in the beauty and solitude and simplicity of St. John's in Arden, just a few miles away. And now finally here to the traditional Midnight Mass with all of its beautiful music, especially with the addition of our our string quartet tonight. And so all of this helps us. These are all tools for us to get our minds and our hearts and our imaginations to Bethlehem, far, far away, long, long ago, to a place and a culture that is and a time that are totally apart from us now. And yet, it's something that has woven itself through cultures all around the world, in every language, in every part of the world. People are gathering to celebrate the birth of this one child. And we sing songs We say prayers that are familiar and life-giving to us. One such song we will sing at the very end of tonight's service is uh, celebrating its 200th anniversary this year. Silent Night was written in, eight. well, I think the text was written in 1816, but the tune that we know was written in 1818. There was a parish church in Oberndorf, Austria, and their organ was broken. And so the curate, the priest, desperately wanted music to be part of their service, and so he put together, he had his poem, and he took it to the organist and choir master and asked him to put together a tune for it that could be played by by a guitar and sung by a few voices. And so that very simple poem and simple tune has become one of the most, if not the most, beloved of all Christmas carols. And it came to this country around 1837, and the first place it was sung was at Trinity Church in Wall Street in New York City, uh, after their rector at the time translated the uh, words from German into English. And so the English words that we sing uh, here are thanks to him down at uh, Wall Street. But this song, uh, it grew in popularity. Uh, And you can find examples of it uh, throughout the 19th century. But where it really gelled in uh, in the common consciousness or our shared humanity, if you will, it was during World War I. And you may know this story from uh, your own uh, studies of history in school. But, of course, World War I was one of the most horrific wars ever to be fought. 
the uh, chemical agents that were used, the weaponry that was used, and the method of warfare, trench warfare, was just especially hellish. The men lived in muddy pits underground, and any any uh, motion up above the ground was uh, just inviting death. And so they lived in constant fear and constant, uh, constant stress over this, uh, this fate that had enveloped them. And then something amazing happened. One Christmas night, the, the trenches were very close enough to each other that they could hear each other talking. And so in one of the trenches, someone, a lonely voice, starts singing, Silent Night, Holy Night. And then another voice, and another voice. And then the other side starts singing. And in a completely spontaneous act, a gift from God, if you will, the men got out of the trenches. They shook hands. They looked each other in the eyes and saw another human being looking back. Who knows, maybe they saw in the other the face of Christ, the Christ child whom they were celebrating that night. So the birth of this child and this one special song had the power within it to stir the human heart and to stir the human conscience to a point where men who were at war with one another literally put down their arms and came face to face and embraced in brotherly love. Of course, sadly, after this moment of brotherhood and peace passed, they had to go back to the shooting. But it is an incredible example of how this small thing a small point of light or a small ripple of good can spread and spread and spread. And this is the exact example of Jesus coming in the way he did. Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Word of God, who was with God from before creation, chose not to come as a mighty king or a conquering warrior, but to be born of a lowly virgin in a stable, surrounded by animals. He really didn't have a good start. To top it off, of course, Herod found out about him and wanted him killed. And the family had to flee and become refugees in a foreign country. But God's will could not be stopped. The child grew in grace, in favor, in stature, and in wisdom. And of course, we don't know much about the childhood or the youth of Jesus, but we know what happens at the end. Jesus sets out on his ministry and becomes really an itinerant preacher. And what he does is he goes to to people who were forgotten, people who were outcasts, people who were considered essentially human trash. And he touched them with the light of God. 
his healing, his love, his reconciliation was able to be given to them so that they received healing in body, in mind. The blind were made to see, the lame to walk, the dead were brought to life. And, and while we may not be uh, capable of performing such incredible miracles, nevertheless, because of Jesus' gift of himself, the greatest gift of all in this season of gifts, don't forget, because of his one gift of himself once offered on the cross, he grafted us into his family tree. He made us his brothers and sisters, children of the Most High God by adoption. And so, in that, he broke the bars of hell. He tore down the barriers between God and man. He became one of us so that we might experience his divinity. And he left us with a great commission that we go forth into the world making disciples, baptizing and preaching in his name, teaching the gospel of Christ. And throughout the ages, we haven't gotten it exactly right. We try our best. And the world often interferes, doesn't it? There is always a dark side. There's always an evil side in the world trying to pull us away from the light of God. But we're always reminded, especially on this night, when we gather in the darkness around the beautiful light of candles, that each one of us can be a light in the darkness. You know, when, you're, when your power goes out and you have to light a candle, you don't really realize, except you do get a good amount of light from it. It doesn't seem like much. It's a simple thing. But when it's used properly, it will guide you through the darkness. And so we are these lights of God in the world. We are Jesus' brothers and sisters, and so we are his hands and feet and eyes and ears, and yes, his voice in this world. We are to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. We are to act for those who cannot act for themselves. We are doing the work of God when we clothe the naked and feed the hungry, house the homeless, those are very important things. And until Jesus comes again, we gather in our churches week after week, year after year, to celebrate his mysteries and to be renewed in our faith through hearing the word of God and through partaking in his holy sacraments. And so on this night, imagine in your minds going back to that first silent night that night when a weary mother and a weary father finally make their way to their destination, to that famous stable where she gives birth to the light of the world, where God's light and love break through the veil of darkness and forever set the light of love into the human heart.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.